Hey, Joe. Hey, Robert. How are you? I'm doing just fine. I was actually going to talk to you about football. Football, 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 but, football, 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 done. Are we done but now? Because that's about my mood right now, football. Well, the good news for people that listen to this that don't like football is you probably won't have to listen to much more about football. And yeah. Although the Cowboys are still leading their division. They are by a thread, um, as it were. And, you know, I mean, I I will say this, the uh, my friends and family on Facebook have not had to suffer my uh, posts on football over the last few weeks. It's been uh, it's pretty been pretty bleak for both. our No, there's no. How about them Cowboys? That's no what I wait for. Posts. No. See, I don't even go yeah. check the score in the morning because I didn't. I don't. You know what was it on Monday night? I didn't stay up. I just you know check Facebook and oh nothing from Robert. They must that have lost. Means, yes, that's not. That's right. That's not good. But the Browns did. I mean, by the time this goes, will have already had played Pittsburgh on Thursday because we're recording this a little bit early because of that. But yeah, uh, yeah, I'm. It's probably not going to be good. Plus, it's going to be like ten degrees. In Cleveland, and um, yeah, never, never good, never good. It's cold. It is cold on the east side of the country. It, it's amazing. It's very cold. How's Los Angeles? Is it warm? Is it nice? It's, no, it's beautiful. Seventy-two degrees and sunny. It's you know, other than the rampant forest fires. Yeah, what's the fire <laughs> update? Everyone looks to you for their California fire update. Can we go <laughs> to Robert? All, let's go. Let's, you can. let's go to Robert. Robert, what's the update? <laughs> Other than the fire in my kitchen, Joe, it's all good. No, it is all fine here in California. We are we are through the worst of it. I'm sure there are some uh, smolders embering somewhere. Um, but yeah, for the most part, the entire state is all through it. And hopefully, uh, knock on wood, through the season as well. So hopefully now we start our rainy season and cold to the extent that it gets cold here in California and we can just call it a day. Good. The, so no fires. The Cowboys should be better than they are. The Browns stink as usual. We should probably start the podcast. Let's roll. And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with this old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 221 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. And with me, as always, a guy who has never had to say, okay, boomer, Mr. Joe Polizzi, how are you, my friend? (laughs) I'm doing remarkably well. Uh, Yes, I'm feeling good. Uh, We're, you know, it's interesting. I've had, I'm right in the middle of this whole book launch thing which is just interesting. I'm learning a ton about it. And you're Mr. Video guy on LinkedIn. Yeah, these days. I'm testing out. I've got a lot of experiments going on right now. So you probably have seen it. I've been doing daily videos on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Uh, and I'm putting all my other, my long form videos on my Facebook author page. And then, you know, we're, we're doing pre-reviews on the will to die for, uh, you know, for Goodreads and iTunes and all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see when real people that don't know me start to read the book and get some of the, <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> right. I have no, right. I, I, you know what? I'm really hoping 
if I could get if I could get a 3.75 or higher out of five on Goodreads, I'll probably take that as a success. But do you ever do you ever look at the Goodreads reviews? Do you ever? I I have yes. In fact, I've I've looked at them quite a bit. And when I'm uh, when I'm looking at um, uh, new books to read, I, I I absolutely look at Goodreads. I think it's a it's a great uh, it's a great source. Well, it's interesting. So I mean, if you go like go to Killing Marketing, for example. So we've got a lot of five star reviews. I don't go to my own okay. books. I don't. Well, you I, should I do not read actually, reviews. You should I, good or bad. I do not you read should reviews never, of our books. You should never ever. It's the worst thing you could do because I do it all the time. But it's the yeah. worst thing you could do because you'll get all these wonderful reviews. But of course, you don't read the wonderful reviews. You want to go to the horrible reviews, and then you'll get what like one star reviews. Does Robert and Joe know how to speak and write in English? Like something like that, or you know, I just wasted eight <laughs> hours of my time. Oh no! And I feel bad for the yeah. tree they killed. You know those types of things. It's tough to go through, so it'll be interesting as people review the will to die getting getting because I know I'm going to get some of those, which you're right. I probably just shouldn't pay attention to any of it. Yeah, I when it comes to works like that, like a book or even really this podcast or anything where I'm certainly not going to change the results of it by having any, you know what I mean, any sort of commentary on that i i just don't i've i've made it a a thing in my life that i don't read the good reviews and i don't read the bad reviews it's probably a good way to do it but i do have news on actually just creating short form video you want to hear some of my experimentation results which are you interested in this at all i don't know if i I am it is so i've produced six of them so far in six consecutive work days number one three and five out of the park Going crazy. Two, four, and six in the dumper. There's nothing in the middle. It's either great, it's either amazing or it's terrible. And I can't figure out the algorithm. And I, of course, it could be the content, but I'm trying to do, you know, interesting content. I'm trying to set it up with a question. I can't figure this thing out. And it's the same for Twitter and LinkedIn. It's, it must, I don't know. It must be the, it must be me. I can't figure it out. I need help. It's I well, it's yeah. I mean, you, you need someone with at a higher pay grade than than any of us for sure. But yeah, that's I mean, you know, it feels random like that. I mean, not to pimp the theme of the show, but I think we're going to talk a lot about that kind of stuff, right? I mean, where where do you trust and how do you how are you different out there? It's a but it's it's a it's a weird. So time. yeah, we'll, we'll get to the podcast stuff. But what, just so everybody's clear on what I'm doing, so I'm going to do this for. I'm just going to I'm going to do this thing for about three or four weeks. We'll get to the show, but just to but make just sure to make that sure you, that you heard about what I'm me. Saying. Yeah, I want to talk more about yes, me. Of course, just to yeah, make sure about that, you, that you? people know that, that you know that, that I'm the most important person <laughs> on this podcast. Um, yes, I. That's never been I'm in doubt. Going, my friend. I'm yeah. going. I'm going to do this for three or four weeks, and I've been keeping track of when I deploy. And all that kind of stuff. And then I will come back with the full results, which will, beyond a doubt, be able to tell us how to create and distribute effective video online on social media. I'm sure I'll have the answer, just like we will at the end of this podcast. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll have an answer, have and I'm an- hoping it's going to be a, a positive one. You know, you, you the answer may be just don't do it because it doesn't work. That's true, but sometimes um, if you lean in, I've learned this really, and you know this. I, if you really lean into the wrong answer, sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it works yeah. out fine. 
If you it really can, commit, it, if you really commit right. to something stupid, <laughs> it 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 sometimes it works out. <laughs> There's your tweetable That's moment, a folks. Right when there. you really lean into if, something if stupid, if you're gonna do something stupid, works. folks, just commit to it. Lean in, commit yeah. to it, and just act like you know what you're doing. So yeah, anyway, act like you belong there. It's the. Uh, um, you know, it's the it's the rat from uh, uh, from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. One of his number one ways that he said to pick up girls was you always pretend like wherever you are is exactly where you want to be. That was his that was his advice. And anyway, who knew that would be yeah, who knew that that would show. be our career advice? So, yeah. So do we have uh, what do we got going on for uh, news? this We week? do. We're going to move on to the start of our top of the show segment, which is one story from the news that really gets to the theme of our show. And we've got a couple here to pair up just because there was one that was more newsworthy and certainly one that sort of speaks more directly to the theme. And the first one we'll open up with here uh, comes to us courtesy of Media Post. Um, and it is, of course, we have to talk about it because it launched this week, which is, of course, Disney's new streaming service. Uh, and as the article opens up, it was far from a meltdown, but... Thousands of customers and would-be subscribers experienced technical problems as Disney Plus made its much-anticipated debut early this morning, and that, of course, was yesterday, Tuesday. Uh, and uh, tech problems tracking site downdetector.com showed reporting problems beginning to build about 5 a.m., with about 6,000 spiking around 7 a.m., which is not much, I'm going to say, but anyway, um, all sorts of things. But the bigger news is that Disney actually launched their new service, which features all sorts of uh, new streaming shows from Disney and Pixar and Marvel and Star Wars and National Geographic. Um, did you subscribe, Joe? And what do you think about the launch? I did not subscribe uh, because I know that you have the service. So basically, you tell me whether it's worth <laughs> it. Um, but I'm, I mean, they have to be, Disney has to be thrilled. So, I mean, I looked at the the stats as of, I mean, well, I'm sure... By the time uh, this goes live, we'll have more up-to-date stats. But we've already got 10 million signups since launch. Of yep. course, there's a free seven-day trial, so some of those they might lose some of those people. But this is just the first day. And if you look at the 10 million signups, and let's just say they hold that even for the entire year, Hulu has 28 million subscribers. So if you, I mean, Hulu's been right. around for how many years? So they're already, uh, a, a yeah, decade, already yeah. more than a third of the way there. Uh, Netflix has, I think, 60 million paid subscribers uh, and then 97 million internationally. I think what I saw was the goal from Disney was I think they were going for, let's see, their goal. I'm, I'm looking at an article here from CNBC. I'll put this in the show notes as well. They're forecasting 60 million to 90 million subscribers by the end of 2024. So here's my question to you, Robert. Knowing how good this content is, and I don't think anyone will question how great the the content repository is for for Disney and on Disney Plus. Do you think that they could possibly hit sixty million in a year or two? Yes, I absolutely do. Um, a lot of that will, I think, a lot of that depends on the future success of uh, unnamed and unfilmed. Uh, unreleased Marvel titles. Um, I think some of it has to do with how good the new Star Wars is. I think some of it has to do with their content strategy when it comes to new originals like The Mandalorian, of course, and and some of the other things that they have uh, on on tap. But 
you know, I just did the quick math here. If they even convert half, you know, five million um, at seventy bucks a year, that's three hundred and fifty million dollars in the first year. I mean, it's 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 a bone. It, they were, you know, they it, it's 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 a hit, right? You can't not argue that this was already a hit, and now it's just how big a hit it's going to be. So, I, I my prediction is that. By let's say that year, let's just take 2024 because Disney put it out there. This will be the biggest part of Disney. This could be. This yeah, will could be, very well be. They're going to add a Netflix, an entire Netflix business to the Disney franchise at a yep. very profitable rate because of the fact it's it's different than that. I mean, I know what you're. I know what you're saying, and I agree with you. Like, what's what are the new um, shows that are just going to be on Disney Plus. How does the Marvel Universe shake out Star Wars, all that stuff? But the fact is, I think if they had no additional content plan moving forward, that people would sign up for for this for a long period of time, just because you have seventy years of content. I mean, it's unbelievable. You can go. I mean, I, I somebody tweeted out the other day. They were uh, what is it, bed knobs and broomsticks or something? They were watching. I mean, are you kidding me? This stuff. It's it's amazing. What the kind of value that's on there? You want to watch Lady and the Tramp or whatever you want to get into, it's there. Um, and so I'm. I think though to yeah, but I think if they are to if I mean, so the question is short term versus long term, right? So Netflix, I think, is a great you know is a great template to look at. You know, when you look at Netflix, their subscriptions were really starting to wane in terms of flattened growth. Um, you know, with how, who knows how much, you know, what was their library of films? Just the licensing. Right? Including yeah, just Disney, the licensing the yeah. before they got into the so, original shows. Just old yes. content isn't going to cut it um, for anybody. You've got to have new content in order to, in order to grow and maintain, a, a, you know, people's interest. You know, you look at something like, um, you know, the, there's a, there's a graph running around the internet that shows the the dip after you know Game of Thrones stopped and how many people quit HBO. You know, after people get their fill of bed knobs and broomsticks and Lady and the Tramp and Cinderella, then it's going to be like if there's no new content, then I'm out, right? And it's not going to take long for people. I'm I mean, I'm seeing people on Facebook saying, "Hey, I'm binge watching Disney over the weekend. And we're going to watch all these movies. It's great." You know, over the next 90 days, they'll people will be really into it and binge watch all they're going to watch. And then what? Right. And I think so long term in measuring in years, I think they've got to have a, a slate of original content. But the good news is that they'll have the they'll have the subscribers to fund it. They'll have you know, they'll have the bit like you said, they're adding a Netflix sized business to their portfolio. It's a it's a genius move. Apple should have bought them when they had the chance. <laughs> if only well, Steve yeah. Jobs was still around, this would be yeah, part. We I'm, would be talking about Apple's new Disney Plus business. But instead, yeah, here we are. And by, yeah, by the here way, we are. by the way, today here we are, and you have lost this bet. We need no, no, to just no, settle this thing forever. We just need to absolutely. I mean, I don't know how how long does it have to go. I mean, do we have to go into a parallel universe into another lifetime before you go? Oh, You're talking from Bizarro Land, my friend. This is no. <laughs> you don't. Uh, by the way, I need to mention this because uh, I'm all into the stock market. Disney stock was up. This is Wednesday. Wednesday's close, seven point three five five percent, which uh, propelled the Dow to record heights. And uh, it was all because of Disney today. So people are liking it. Yep. People are buying in. And uh, and you're wrong. Um, 
It's, it's bigly. It's bigly, <laughs> as they say. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to our second uh, top of the show story here, which is a bit of a editorial, I guess you'd call it. Commentary, certainly. Um, the new dot-com bubble is here, and it's called online advertising. A uh, big shout-out, by the way, to a few of you who sent this story, but I'm going to give credit to Carl Yeah, who uh, sent it over to me via Twitter direct message and said he was fascinated with this article. And I was too. At uh, Carl Yeah721 is his Twitter handle. And thank you, Carl, for this. So the article opens up and it's a lengthy one, folks. So sit back, get your popcorn and all of that. Um, basically, it starts out by giving us a history lesson of online advertising by saying sometime in June 2003, Mel Karmazen, the president of Viacom, one of the largest media conglomerates in the world, walked into the Google offices in Mountain View, California, and basically figuring out how Google was making money. And they told him online advertising. And the sort of moral or punchline to this story is that Karmazen said, why would I want anybody to know how and why online advertising works? You're taking the magic and the basically ambiguity out of advertising. And the article goes on at great length, at great snarky length, I should say, um, to talk about how online advertising is dying, dead, and basically it's been propped up by all of this ad tech in the world and will ultimately explode and perhaps, although I find the headline a little clickbaity, um, really get to the point of the newest tech bubble. Um, and um, where does it go from here? So, uh, what do you think about this, Joe? What, what do you think about? Did you did you get through the entire article? I did, yeah, and, and yeah so I did, did get through. It just it just kept scrolling and scrolling, but I did get through it. Uh, one of the things that fascinated me. So, if you go go to this article and read it, I love the whole take on eBay keyword. Uh, went basically. Yes. Long story short. Uh, the eBay team for years was, was they were buying their branded keyword on Google and paying millions and millions of dollars a month. Uh, and the and the people that were buying the keyword, the agency were saying, "Oh, this is the greatest keyword because everybody that clicks uh, you know, spends twelve dollars or more on eBay." And then the the guy, the consultant, comes in and just takes it off and realizes that they were they were going to eBay anyways. We didn't have to pay for the, to, to send them to our site, and they just clicked on the second link, which was the free link of eBay. And what's interesting to me, just from that, and we'll get to the the bigger concepts, but I, how many? I mean, look at at almost all Fortune five hundred companies that you see. Not I'm a, I don't want to say all, but a good amount of them do this. They buy their keyword on Google and they're spending millions of dollars on Google just to get their number one keyword. And the only thing I can think of why they do that is because they don't want a competitor to to take that keyword, which I don't even know. I, I don't even think is an issue anymore like it used to be. So I so to, to, to just to talk about the article on why it's just so strange, online advertising in and of itself is how many marketers out there are doing this and wasting millions of dollars just on that one thing. And of course, the article goes into a lot of other details. Um, I wanted to get your take because you went through the whole thing. But the three things that I wrote down as I was going through this, why we advertise in the first place online, just generally, I guess. One is because we have the budget. And if it's an advertising budget, we spend (laughs) it on advertising, right? Right, and you and I know we've been into so many budget meetings, and they'll say, "Well, you know, that's my budget, so I have to spend my budget by the end of the year." 
And so if it's earmarked for advertising, we're going to spend money on advertising, online advertising, Facebook, wherever it's at. So one is you have the budget. Two is you're doing it out of fear that you're missing something. So that you have to be there for kind of like buying that keyword. Oh, we have to do it because if we don't do it, we're going to miss out on something. So I want to make sure we're there. And the third reason is you're afraid of being fired because still we're in this area. I mean, look at content marketing versus advertising. Content marketing is Pluto. It's not even a planet. Advertising is the sun. That's the difference. Right. That's the difference in spending. So people still, because they we've always done it in marketing. We just spend our the most of our marketing dollars on advertising because why wouldn't we? We don't. We want to keep our jobs, and that's what people do that want to keep their jobs. They do the same thing that the person before them did and the person before them. So those are the three things I took out of it. You're right. It is a very snarky article. Uh, I did. What do you? They're, they're getting to the point where they basically says the whole thing is uh, is a big scam. I don't think I would go yes. that far. I wouldn't either. So, what is what's your take on the whole thing? Well, my take is it, it, it's one that I've you know uh, I've I've you know I've worked with clients for well heck coming up on twenty years um, with this kind of stuff, and it's something that I've come to say a lot, which is. You know, marketing provides a return on investments and campaigns rarely do. And what I mean by that is, is that when you look at any one tactic, paid media, earned media, content marketing, shared me, all of that in isolation, it's almost always can be proven to be a bad idea if you look directly at the measurement of individual campaigns. And I'm reminded of the story of, you know, I worked with a uh, a B2B that was transforming into a B2C company. They were building this giant e-commerce platform. And so the CFO finally said, okay, let's, let's do some marketing, right? Let's actually build a marketing department. And he, they, you know, they transformed the company, they launched their e-commerce, they, they kept their B2B business, and they launched marketing along with it. And the first year, as they grew marketing, they didn't really have any marketing. They had, you know, XYZ growth. And the second year, when they had a full year of marketing, you know, teams and campaigns and everything under their belt, they grew 600%. And they went, oh my God, this is amazing. We have to figure out what it was that worked. And so the first thing the CFO did was he assigned everybody in marketing <clears throat> to go look at every individual campaign and figure out which one was the ROI, like figure out which ones provided the best ROI. Well, they did that. And without fail, almost every single one of the individual campaigns either was flat, maybe a modicum of ROI, or quite frankly, lost money. But it worked. But they were like, well, what the heck worked? And so his next assignment was, okay, well, let's go figure out. So he went to the sales people, to the marketing people, to the accounting people, uh, to the PR people and said, everybody figure out what your contribution to the marketing 600% growth was. Everybody came back with their PowerPoint reports and he added it all up. And if, he, if everybody had been accurate, they would have grown at 1500% last year. And so everybody, of course, was taking credit for overlapping ideas and campaigns and et cetera, et cetera. And so the moral of the story is, is what the CFO decided was, I can't find it. I just know that marketing works. Doing marketing works. It's the mix, the marketing mix that's important. And they play on each other and they work together and they are multipliers of each other. And together they work and in isolation, they really don't. 
And so I think when you look at paid media and advertising like they do here, it is a bunch of smoke and mirrors in many cases. And I'll rant a little later about some of this from my early days in TV. But the idea here is, is that, yes, some of it is smoke and mirrors. And yes, the whole what they call economies, right, where they start getting all buzzwordy about economics and algorithms and looking at the mathematics of it all is mostly a bunch of bullshit. But to the extent that marketing works, it's, it's, you know, it's, uh, it, it, that's the, that's the main message for me. And this is a sideshow, I guess. No, it's a really good point. <clears throat> when we did the analysis at uh, content marketing Institute years ago, I was trying to do a similar thing, but I really wanted to show the effectiveness of the mag, the print magazine, Chief Content Officer. Like, we're spending a lot of money on this. Can we just show that just the magazine is worth it? And we really couldn't find it. We couldn't find anything. But what we did find kind of proves your point. If we just look at the magazine, really couldn't tell anything. We just looked at those people that said they listened to the podcast, really couldn't find any difference in behavior change. Those people that just subscribed to the email newsletter, maybe a little bit, but not very much. But those people that subscribed to the magazine, listened to the podcast, and were email subscribers, those were our most valuable customers. Exactly. Isn't that interesting? Exactly. Yeah, but no, one, it's but and it's, it's so true. It's exactly right. If you just looked yeah. at one, you never get the answer. But it's that mix that's, that's right. so important. So, and what we want to do, you know, as humans, is we want to reduce it all to some very simple algorithm to be able to say, "Do this, get success." And for 150 years in marketing, we've never been able to do that, and so I don't know why we would expect to now. So, this to me is it's an entertaining article, um, and it's fascinating. The eBay breakdown is very entertaining and, and funny, um, and they have a very funny writing style. But overall, the message. That, um, you know, and we all have talked about we've ad nauseum on this show. We've talked about the the decline of advertising as a medium. Um, But in the same breath, I think you and I would both say it's just changing. It's not, you know, it's it's just um, it's just evolving. And and our approach to it should as well. I think the one thing that I would uh, pay attention to. Uh, if, you, if our listeners read this, I love the end of it because we all get into this whole, um, co- they talk about the cognitive bias. It mm-hmm. talks about the fact that if you want something to work, you will put the methodology together to show that it works. <laughs> so basically, exactly. he's well, ba- this he's, is your lean into something no matter how stupid it is, it's right? It's so crazy, man. <laughs> I know. It's, it talks about the idea of, hey, if you really want to show something, where, and I, the reason why that struck a chord with me is I've been in so many meetings where they'll just take the numbers that help their case. They'll leave the exactly. other ones. As I say, you give me Google Analytics, I'll make it say anything exactly you like right. me to. I, we could yeah. be, oh my God, this is gonna sing. It's gonna sing for yeah. you. So <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, so good. All right, let's move on to our next section, shall we? And that is our in-depth section, where Joe and I pick a couple of articles that have our attention in the world of marketing, and get to some of the meat behind it. Um, and uh, let's start here. We've got a couple to go through. We'll see how we end up on time here. Um, but uh, the first one is interesting. It comes from our friends at thenextweb.com. And it is about our friends at Facebook who have been doing nothing to earn anybody's trust of late. And the headline is, Facebook is secretly using your iPhone's camera as you scroll your feed. Uh, iPhone owners, it starts, beware. 
It appears Facebook might be actively using your camera without your knowledge while you're scrolling your feed. The issue has come to light after a user going by the name of Joshua Maddox, that's a really creative handle, uh, took to Twitter to report the unusual behavior which occurs in the Facebook app for iOS. In footage he shared, you can see his camera actively working in the background as he scrolls through his feed, and there's a video that shows exactly that. And so this is interesting. The article goes on to talk about how they've found it, they've duplicated it, they've seen it, it's, uh, you know, all this, whether this is a bug, um, as Facebook has in an update that they posted, looks like uh, just a day or so ago, uh, confirmed the issue and calling it a bug um, and or sort of something more nefarious, I think is for debate. But uh, what did you think about this, Joe? It, well, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I, th- I I think that they are pure evil. Can I say that? I, there's nothing that there's nothing Facebook has ever done that shows me that that they're that they care about privacy at all. Um, they they haven't said anything that's changed my mind. Especially if it seems like every time Zuckerberg talks about it too, it's just it's just even more to the point where they're trying to take every bit of data and leverage that data on you personally so that they can sell more stuff and become even larger and take over the world. So I, I mean, is that is that negative? I don't know if it is. Uh, I, I, it's just the way it is. Sugarcoat. So when it. I yeah, so when I saw this, I'm like, oh, this is another thing. Now I use Facebook, and I'm okay uh, with uh, with how I use that and how where I give my permissions. But everyone that uses Facebook should know that they're probably up to something, and I just don't see that changing. So you know, I think it's good that we just keep educating our audience about these things. And pretty soon it's got to be really bad. But right now these are just little. Oh no no! I'm so. Oh, it was a it was a bug. Even though this guy, it's it's pretty good evidence. Well, it just gets to the. I mean, you know, look. Even if, even if you know Zuckerberg is literally the villain up in his dark castle, you know, with his white cat on his lap and he's petting it and laughing in a maniacal way. You would think that they would sort of get their collective you-know-what together and actually figure out what they're doing from a messaging standpoint. I mean, what you know, a, sh- a note that we're not going to cover this week's show is the whole thing about the leak of emails that basically you know, say that Facebook has been delving into app data and looking at privacy and basically looking at consumers' data for the last, since the Cambridge Analytica thing. I mean... So now it's out in the open. These emails are basically saying, yeah, we looked at it. We did it. I mean, where is, you know, it just seems like every week there's something new and they just can't get out of their own way. And and if they're really trying to build, I mean, you know, the story that we would cover next year, which we can talk a little bit about is that. Instagram, which of course is a Facebook company, came out this week and said, hey, by the way, guess what? We're going to start hiding likes uh, on Instagram. Um, So for those of you who are Instagram uh, aficionados, you may start to notice that likes go away. Apparently it's in Europe now um, and uh, Canada, uh, Australia, Brazil and Japan. Um, and where they're testing first, and so the U.S. will come next. um, And so they're starting to hide likes. So, I mean, what do we think about that? I mean, is that is that just completely separate or is this them trying to get something going? It just doesn't feel like the left hand knows what the right hand is well, doing. Well, I was trying to figure out why they were doing the hiding likes thing. And it sounds like, as, as you're talking about corporate messaging, that they they don't want people to feel bad if they're not getting a lot of likes. So, so keep creating all that content. 
It's okay if you don't get a lot of likes. If you're not gonna, you can still see your likes. You can still go to them as a user, but they're not going to aren't, be seen aren't people, publicly. Here's here's the thing I want to know because this is the first thing that struck me. If I care that much about likes, like I'm an I'm a quote unquote micro influencer or you know one of those people who takes pictures in front of everything with makeup on to make sure that I'm you know getting the latest you know sponsorships and blah blah. And anyway, if I care about that stuff, won't I just take a picture? of my picture on Instagram and post that picture on Instagram with the likes noted. I, well, no, that's very, I mean, in other words, <laughs> with, well, you know what I mean? With the caption of like, look how many likes how I many got. Likes I mean, I if got. I, if, if, if that's important to me, wouldn't I just do that? But see, that's, uh, they don't want They, you don't want to show yourself to be that way. You want to be all like, Oh no, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm popular, but I'm not really popular. You know, I I want you to like me, but I don't really want you to like me. You know, yeah, but even but even for that, then it doesn't stop what's really going. I mean, I know that the the stated purpose is to get rid of online bullying. You know, so that basically people who are addicted to it and and that there's you know sort of a a social um, stigma attached to how many likes you get. You know, in schools and stuff like that. So it's not even the influencers and the money stuff. It's more like the high school kids that are that are competing uh, in a weird way for attention. So I get that, but it just strikes me that if that's really the issue, it's pretty simple to game that issue. By if, if in other words, if you're going to take likes away, you got to take it away for me too. Like as the author, like I I, I can't see. You know, it should actually be the other way around. Arguably, that you can see how many likes I have, but I can't see how many likes I have. Well, I then mean, you'll be you calling know, me. You'll be yeah, right, you'll be texting exactly. me like, hey man, that tweet. You know, right. me holding that cowboy's exactly. helmet. You know what? That's how right. Many likes did I get? Uh, I think it just goes to the point. We've talked about this before. Social media is going through a drastic change right now. And in two years, you're not going to recognize Facebook or Instagram because it's going to, there's, there's going to be certain newsmakers and there's going to be the rest of us. And I think that's where we're headed. And whoever, whoever makes the most money from Instagram and Facebook, they're the ones that are going to be on the platform. And the rest of us are going to be viewing it just like we're viewing Disney plus. It's all the same. It's all the same. Yeah, there's another one. I'm, the way I, I know we didn't put this into the show this week, but there was a, sh- a, a, a post that I almost wanted us to talk about, um, which is talking about how Google is looking at sort of deprecating or getting rid of the URL altogether. And what it made me think of was in a world where I surf on Google Chrome to websites that are URL-less. In other words, they just brought to me by Google. Like I just see, you know, websites when I put in my search engine results and don't really see URLs as constructed anymore. How different is that than something that where I might see Facebook and Facebook pages, for example? You know, in other words, the internet just becomes Google, a Google interface, right? It's, it's, you know, and I know that's way a wave sort of tin hat sort of uh, idea, but you know it's it's it it fascinates me this idea of social media, Google, the sort of convergence of the web into interfaces that are you know basically watch only and were dependent upon other algorithms in order to get that viewership um, from audiences, and it's a you know I mean I mean. This no. audience has heard me rant about open internet and you know and all that before, but that's it's something that really bothers me. But you make up you make a great point. 
and I don't, I don't know how deep we want to get into this, but I think that that's where Facebook and Google and Amazon are heading. I think they want the internet to be Google and all their properties. Of course. Right? And you're not on anything else. That's that's the neural link. The neural link is just Google or it's just Amazon. And that's... We're not that far away from that happening, and the fight. The we're we're not. We don't even see all these little things. They're this, these ticky tacky things we're covering. That, this is just laying the groundwork for this big fight that's going to happen. Where it's like yeah. you got to choose us, or you got to choose you got to choose Amazon and Twitch and everything. That's where you're going to be. So I, I, it's just going to be so interesting to see this happen. And there's on all these consumers going to say, "Whoa, I didn't." I didn't. Either they're going to be. I didn't see that coming. Or we're just going to migrate into this always on. Oh, we're in Facebook. Facebook is the internet, which is scary. Which That's right. Is really scary. I, I'm really thinking of doing, trying to put together a team and figure out the methodology for doing a research study because I'm fascinated by this question. And again, if anybody in the audience knows if this has already to be done, please let me know. But I really want to look at how, especially younger generations, when they get their news through Facebook, and what I mean there is reading a New York Times article, reading a Washington Post article, basically anybody who's syndicating their content through the Facebook interface, I want them to, I, I want them to a- answer, basically, who gives them their news, right? Is it Facebook, or do they really see that as a New York Times article? Or do they see it that they just got their news through Facebook? I'll My hypothesis is, increasingly, that, that content that's not strongly branded, that doesn't live in the yep. interface of the New York Times, will be seen as Facebook content, not New York Times I would Times agree with content. that. And that's what Facebook wants. That's what exactly they what they're going yeah, for. Yeah, because then they disintermediate the advertising there. They basically, they give the ad, they get the money for it. And if I'm a marketer, if I'm an advertiser, I don't care. I'm not going to go advertise on the New York Times. I'm going to go advertise on Facebook because that's where the eyeball is. God, this is, this is what happened. I was in this meeting with, with, this is back in 2003 or 2004 or something when we were with all the magazines were, were talking about this Google and all their traffic was come from Google and should they even have their content be searchable? And a lot of, a lot of the magazines said no and some said yes, but then they started to get all this traffic. So the, so then everyone <laughs> everyone said, oh, no, it's okay. We're getting all this traffic. And they were monetizing it on site. And then all of a sudden, year by year, that, the, that advertising that they had on their site was going away. And where was it going? It was going to Google. It was, it's just, it's, oh, it's scary. Anyways, before we, we move on, there's, have you read, read the book Warcross? Have you read this book? Uh, I know the book Warcross. Okay. I have not there's read it. There's two books, Warcross and the second one, the follow-up was Wildcard. If you get a chance to read it, it's it's science fiction. Um, uh, my friend Mark Maxheimer recommended it, and my son Adam read it. It's fantastic. I read both of them. But it talks about this concept of the internet being something else entirely. And if you want to see what's coming, read <laughs> read those books. It's very, very telling. Yeah. I, yeah, fascinating stuff. I mean, we could go on for a whole show about this. It's very um, uplifting. Anyway. We're very, this is very uplifting. We're, yeah, it's a very uplifting show. It's very, very humorful sort of, you know. <laughs> you know. Yay. Golly gee. Yay. <laughs> All right. Hey, you know what? Yes. Does make me happy, though. Sure.
there is a wonderful sponsor we can talk about to monetize our own little in window into the web. <laughs> is this is, okay? Brought to you by Facebook. <laughs> No, 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 no. Seriously. Brought to you by Zuckerberg.com, where you no, can this, get your robots for free. This is the Content Tech Summit. It's happening again in beautiful San Diego, April 20th to 22nd, 2020. Wow, that's a lot of twos. April 20th through 22nd, 2020. That's in San Diego. Content Tech Summit. Go to contenttechsummit.com. Now, Will they be able to go to contenttechsummit.com if Google removes the URLs? Is this... We don't know. Go now. Better get there quick. Okay. (laughs) If you want the lowest rates, you got to go and sign up before 1214. You will not regret it. Make sure you're going to talk about all the new technologies and innovative processes that are really changing all of marketing today. Content Tech wants to help enterprise brands and their agencies master their strategies to integrate and excel in content and marketing technologies for a better customer experience. And maybe you won't have to lean on Google and Facebook and Instagram so much. So, I mean, that's that's pretty positive. So learn, yeah. learn how not to get sucked in by the great dragon of evil. And, <laughs> <laughs> and go to Content Tech Summit. I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if Content Tech Summit wants me to talk about this. But, you know, anyways... That's it. Yeah. Go. It's it's April 20th no, it's to 22nd. Be good. It's going to be yeah. You're going to be it's there. It's going to be a you're, great you're, show. You're, you're giving a little speech. You're hosting. I am. I will be posting and giving a little talk. And um, we've got some great workshops lined up. Still working on some keynotes. and But it's going to be a great, great show. And last year was wonderful. San Diego is always beautiful in April. Um, and uh, yeah, some really smart people doing some really interesting technology stuff with content. So it's going to be good. So price, I'm, yeah, I'm prices go up twelve fourteen. So sign up before then. Absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for and now empirically proven your favorite part of the show. Uh, something I know <laughs> I know I really like. Um, we actually did a little survey and we got a bunch of votes. And so there it is. Um, it's our rants and rave section where the Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like, oh, like we're Disney Plus or making us feel a little bit like a publisher on Facebook. Um, and so, let's see. Do you want to go first? Do you want to yeah, start Yeah, your... I'll go. Mine yeah. are really quick. I'll go okay. first. This is fine. There's just, um, you know, in the, I guess if the theme of the show is, uh, you know, the positive spin on it is thinking a little bit differently, if you will, about what's going on around you. Uh, there was, the, I don't know if you saw this. I, I know I shared it with you, but I didn't even hear about this show um, his dark materials. Did you know about the show? You're an HBO guy, I right? Have seen, yeah, I've definitely seen the promos for it. It looks amazing. Okay, so his dark materials. It's on HBO, and uh, Tom Noble, who's at underscore Noble on Twitter, shared this out, and it's a picture of a billboard, and it's a, a massive pole. I guess what it's a polar bear. So just picture a billboard and that's a polar bear and the polar bear's head is coming out above the billboard and it's actually breathing out <laughs> out fumes or air or whatever if you will and i saw this and i'm like wow thankfully somebody is thinking about outdoor media in a different manner and i just wanted to talk about this and we'll share it in the show notes and everyone should take a look at it or just do you know uh 
do hashtag his dark materials and billboard and you'll find it on on Google or whatever your search engine of choice is just to check it out. And the reason why I wanted to just throw a little uh, love that way is um, there's an opportunity for marketers out there to use other kinds of media, but we can't do it the same way. Just like we were talking about in advertising. We have to think a little bit differently about it. I love smart use of outdoor media. And, uh, and this is one of them. And by the way, I didn't even know. Did you know um, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is uh, is in the show? Did you know this? I did know that. I did. I've, I've seen the uh, the previews for it. It. I mean, it looks like it could, do you have HBO? I don't have HBO, but I actually might subscribe now because I have a total man crush on Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know this. I, I, I do I know this. Him. I do know this. And there's some other good actors in this as well. So it's... Um, it's, I don't uh, know anything about that. I know I, it says I, I stars, Lin-Manuel Miranda. That's all I need to know. James McAvoy's in it as well. Ruth Wilson's exactly. in it as well. Yeah. So anyways, yep. check it out. I mean, it, it could be really cool. I'm gonna, yeah, I think I'm really... going to have, I might have to get the free uh, free trial to, to check this one out and then quickly cancel so I don't have to pay for it. Okay. So <laughs> See? See yeah, how that see, works? That's exactly how that works. <laughs> the second thing I wanted to talk about is from um, Richmond.com. And it's just... It's an editorial called Gen Z is turning to print. Now, I know how silly that sounds. And especially I've got two kids that are in Gen Z. uh, Okay, boomer. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Right. Um, But they throw some research out here. You could take it for what it it is. They they did. There's one study. Uh, MNI targeted media of, you know, they might be a little bit biased. They talk about 83% of students at several ma- major American universities say they turn to newspapers for trusted information and content. I want to know if that's printed newspapers. But there's another uh, study by American University that found 300 college students in four countries, more than 92% say they would, they would rather do their coursework in print rather than a computer or tablet. Okay, those aside, if you think that's going to happen, doesn't matter. We'll see what happens. What I, I threw this out on Twitter a couple days ago, got all kinds of responses. And what we do know is that Amazon has sent out a catalog this year. So Amazon.com, the bookstore, has sent out a catalog this year in print. Walmart has sent out a big catalog again. We see more and more investing in printed media. And, you know, you, you and I talked, uh, what, was a couple episodes ago about uh, Airbnb buying Atlas Obscura. We're, we're going to see more and more of this happen. I think if you're smart, kind of like we talked about the billboard example, smart usage of print today can break through the clutter. Everyone has, as last I checked, we, we still get the, the mail. You still get the postal mail at, at, an, at your address. There's not a lot of really good information besides all the spam uh, mail that we're getting. There's an opportunity to break through, especially to build a subscriber database and do that well. Uh, so my prediction is you're going to see more and more of this happen in 2020. You're going to see more brands, Fortune 500 brands, either launch magazines or uh, or purchase magazines. And um, this is just one article. We'll put it in the show notes. But I just thought it was interesting that there's talking about Gen Z is looking for you know something that they can that's more tangi- tangible, some kind something they can connect to. Is that print? I don't know. I don't know if I buy into it yet, Robert. I don't know what your thought is. Yeah. But I think there is an opportunity for a smart use of print when everyone else is going the other direction. I absolutely agree. And I think it's, it's in large part we're going to have, uh, you know, a. I think we're going to have a comeback of, of, of print like we've seen a comeback of vinyl. 
you know, and so the it, it, and especially in a world of and I'm just going to get to it here in a minute, um, you know, of data privacy and bots and fraud and all the things that are going on in everything we just spent the last 50 minutes talking about. Print is simpler. It's just an easier experience. And so I think you're going to start to see, you know, a growth in that, if only for the nostalgia like vinyl. And people are going to talk about quality and they're going to talk about the experience that we can create. And I think it's, I absolutely think it's due for, due for an absolute resurgence. Well, I, well you, I put this on Facebook, but I told you that my, my oldest son went and bought uh, Billy Joel's The Stranger vinyl album. Yeah. Uh, and boy, I couldn't be prouder. Uh, but that, yeah. you know, it's it's that kind of thing. There, I mean, there, they they never had. We had that. They never had that. They never had the opportunity. We had magazines, and they look at it as something new, which is crazy to think yeah, about. Exactly. But they've never yeah. they've never had that. And by, by the way, Lego magazine still works pretty darn well. Uh, so there's exactly. really good examples out there of magazines that are doing well and been doing well for a long time. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you for that. That those are awesome. Um, I have two quick commentaries. Okay. Um, one very very quick commentary, and then one a little longer in the tooth. Um, and uh, the first one is courtesy of Digiday that uh, had an article. So, do you know the company Share Through? Yes, um, I do. The content marketing company. Yes. Yeah. So. They have, I guess, according to Digiday, decided to shut down their entire European operation. Um, They are centralizing support out of North American offices, um, and they're going to move 11 employees out of the London office, will be let go. Um, And basically, they have chalked it up to, as the CEO, Dan Greenberg, said, being hit severely by the European Union's general data protection regulation last year. Um, and I think that is just either a the silliest move I've ever heard of or, quite frankly, a, an excuse for something else going on. So it, I'm going to assume for the moment that things were generally OK in Europe and that this is truly about the GDPR. And if it really is, then I just can't disagree with this move more. You know, it's just it's a fundamental under misunderstanding of what GDPR really is. Um, and by the way, if you're shutting down in Europe because of GDPR, you should probably shut down in California too, because CCPA is coming in January. And CCPA is actually harder to comply with than GDPR. And there's 28 so, other states working on their own. And there's 28 other states coming. So if you can't figure this out, then you can't figure out your business model. So, um, Laying down the hammer. Not, I like it. Yeah. Well, oh. it's just, you know, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, it's, it's, I, I, it's, it's hard for me to believe that this is really about that, but if it is, then it shouldn't be. Um, there are plenty of ways and content marketing, as I've said, you know, time and time again, if we can figure out how to start treating our leads and prospects and audiences as customers and give them the data and the access to the data, all of the wonderful things we want to do, including the targeting of content can be done. And so it's it, all of it is within this scheme and scope of the GDPR and CCPA. It's just a permission thing. We just need to get better at it. And so I won't go off on a huge tangent on that, but I could <laughs> just so that, you know, we could we could talk more about that in another at another time. But uh, I'm just in full disagreement with this move. And my main point is, if you can't figure out GDPR, shutting down in Europe is a not the answer, but b CCPA starts in January. That's the California law, and it's it, it's all coming. So you better figure it out if you want to stay in business. All right. Ooh. 
Yeah. Uh, the second story um, that I will cover, um, because this one sort of hit close to home of my history and my heart. Um, this is coming all the, the what we'll link to in the show notes is the uh, Wall Street Journal version of this, although there are uh, lots and lots of business magazines covering this. Um, this is Nielsen, the research company, and they have now decided after much, <laughs> much, much drama and uh, Game of Thrones type manipulations, they're finally splitting the company. Um, and uh, they're splitting the company into two, and they're basically going to reduce all their shareholder dividends and create this pair of companies that will hopefully move more quickly. They're basically splitting the company into the two sections of uh, what are called buy and watch uh, by those sort of in the inside baseball side of things, which is the buy side, which is their business Relegated to monitoring retail stores like grocery stores and retail stores, and you know that those those clients basically that are watching transactions happen at the retail space, and of course the more famous side, which is of course their watch side, which is all the media, TV ratings, and and all of that. And so this has been rumored for quite a while. Um, and so just really quickly for those of you who don't understand this, basically. Nielsen was born, you know, decades ago in the 1940s, really, and was a family business um, for a very, very long time. And so they originated this idea of doing retail research and looking at stores and how people were buying things in retail stores, became a huge business, uh, and then, of course, launched and originated and innovated in the TV rating space. Um, and then in 1996, which is when I really started to work in TV and was really big into Nielsen, um, they were bought by Dun & Bradstreet. And Dun & Bradstreet split them up into what they would now we would call watch and buy the sort of Nielsen media research versus what they ended up calling connect, which was their retail business. Then it was ultimately acquired again by a company called VNU, which was a Dutch publishing company. Um, and then, of course, they all went off market, went to private equity for a while, and then they came back in 2011 and rebranded as Nielsen. And it's been basically a very bumpy ride ever since. And so with that sort of uh, sort of history lesson there, my point being is that if you look at this timeline of Nielsen and the ramifications and what's going on here, it's very clear that the watch side of the business, and which is where all the current people are going by, they, the CEO is going, all of the board is going. Basically, it's like, we're just going to jettison off this non-performing thing called Connect, the retail thing, and yeah, let it sort of dangle out under the wind and see if anybody wants to buy it. Um, and there's a, and there's good reason for that. It's been the slower mover of the business. So they haven't seen any growth. And we all know the reasons why, right? Amazon came along and started, you know, competing and retail has suffered. And basically retailers going, we kind of don't need this research anymore. We, we know where everybody's going. They're all going to Amazon. And they so they can't, you know, what gets cut, the budget for information research services like, like Nielsen. And so it's been a suffering business for quite a while. But interestingly... This looks to me when you see sort of the watch sort of split here and you go, OK, well, what does this mean in my life other than sort of being a, a nice little weird sideshow of all of this? And so most of the articles that you'll read about this is to start to say, look, media business is big. It's hot. Information measurement services are hot. It's why Nielsen is seeing growth there. Um but in the broadcast days, like when, when I was going back into the mid-1990s and I was working at, at Nielsen, um, the size of the panel 
the sort of quality of research you were getting out of Nielsen was a joke. It was a joke in the TV industry. Like all of us that were in TV and the inside baseball side of television, it was, you know, people don't know this, but the Nielsen people meter, the number of people who were actually providing television ratings, it was 5,000 households across the entire universe of the US, right? And at the time they had 100 million households. So that's basically five thousandths of a percent for your sample of TV ratings. In other words, you put 20,000 people in a stadium and if you tried to figure out everybody's favorite TV show, you would ask one guy. (laughs) So basically, that's the gold standard. That was the gold standard of television. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars were spent in broadcast and cable TV advertising based on this methodology. And we would hack it together. I mean, at TV stations, we would hack it together to say, well, here's your percentage of women and viewers per viewing household. And here's how you should look at this and look at that and all of that kind of stuff. We made it work and we figured it out. And just a funny quick side story. It was so bad that at the tiny little cable TV network that I worked at in the mid 90s, one day, literally one day, our African-American male population of TV watchers went to zero. And we couldn't figure it out. We just didn't have any African-Americans anymore. And of course, that seems silly. But we figured out that the Nielsen guy, the one guy who had a people meter and watched our television network, died. And so that's why the African-American male population in our network went to zero, because one guy died. That is so crazy. Oh, my God. Yeah. So so what's the point of all of this, right? What's the point of all of this? Well... My point is, is that the success of any measurement company, and I don't care who it is, Nielsen, Comscore, Qualtrics, doesn't matter, whoever it is measuring whatever in the media consumption, just to the point in the theme of everything we talked about today, the gold standard is not necessarily the quality of the research or even the accuracy of the measurement, but by the popularity of the measurement. So watch right now, for example, with Nielsen is very popular and very successful because it's the standard that we as the people, we as the customers have agreed upon rather than because they have any sort of accurate standards. And that's okay. I I think that's okay. But as marketers, as practitioners, we need to know this and be okay with it and keep that sort of side, sort of cynical eye, if you will, because if we sell against this research, like we operate publications like you and me and Everybody at CMI, a lot of what we sell is the fog produced by all the data here. And I know because I used to create that fog for the TV business. And if we buy media against this research as marketers and advertisers, we should understand that this research is also based on what everybody sort of agrees on, not always going to reflect the results. You may get 600% growth because of marketing, not because of advertising. In other words, objects in the mirror may be a lot closer than they appear. It's true for all measurement, all media, and that's, I don't mean to be cynical about that, it's just, I, we should need to recognize the truth is what we want to believe collectively, not necessarily that which is wholly based on fact, and that's the end of my rant. You really brought that back, you went all the way back to the beginning of the show, brought <clears throat> it back in, I am totally impressed. I don't know if the listeners It's are. almost like we think about this stuff. But man, yeah, that, that's, think about this you stuff. really just <laughs> It's just one data point. Um, <laughs> how long did you work at Nielsen's? Uh, I didn't work at Nielsen at all. I worked in the TV business. Oh, that, that's I was, right. I worked that's for, right. Yeah, I worked for Showtime Networks in the mid-90s, and then I went to a little tiny cable network called Nostalgia TV, um, which was a uh, fascinating little network. All we did was curate old 1970s uh, television and basically uh, played that 24-7. 
And um, it was like, it was for old people, right? It was for boomers, <laughs> basically. Okay, boomer. To watch like the Rockford Files and I Love Lucy and Gilligan's Island and all sorts of things, yeah. Oh, man. So what do you, you got, uh, you have travel this week? What are you doing? I have, no, uh, I am traveling to Orlando, my favorite city favorite in the city. whole planet. Said Orlando. No um, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, I'm traveling to Orlando tomorrow, and I'm visiting with a client there for literally one day, and then home for the weekend, um, and then off to Dreamforce next week. I am speaking at Dreamforce next week. Hey, is that your first time there? It is. Oh, it is my very awesome. first time. Well, I should say first time speaking. First time speaking. Yeah, I'm, wow. I have uh, I have been there before, but I've never spoke. I'm so proud of you. You've hit the big oh. time. It's no, so, please. Yeah. It's so wonderful. <laughs> you have to let me know how it yeah. is. The, I will. Uh, and the, you? The billion dollar brand that is Dreamforce. Unbelievable. Yeah, no kidding. Uh yeah. no, I'm I'm uh you know, we we're getting ready for I guess for for holiday stuff, but uh but really I've got I think from today it's three weeks until um my my novel, The Will to Die, comes out officially. So I'm working on that kind of stuff and Learning all kinds of uh, things that I'll I'll share some of them and try not to talk about myself too much on the podcast. But yeah, it's uh, so I'm doing all that stuff and just hoping people like it. That's it. Very, very good. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. That's what we got. We're signing off. And if you like this episode, number 221, that's right, 221, won't you get yourself a shiny new subscription? Um, or resubscribe if you need to resubscribe. Get yourself get get multiple subscriptions. In fact, we like that. Get go out and get all your email addresses signed up to the uh, the little show here, um, and then go review it. Um, I won't be reading them, but I want you to go review it. All of the wonderful <laughs> reviews also help us uh, get a big audience for this and get a number one podcast rating, um, which is what we're after here. Um, if you're just joining us, we are publishing every other week now. We're basically around twice a month. Um, and if people want to get more of you, Joe, where do they go? You've got your shiny new website. Yeah, going. shiny new website. Just go to joepolizzi.com, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I.com and uh, subscribe to my little newsletter that I send out every other week. So that would be great. And you, sir? Um, mine is pretty simple. It's contentadvisory.net where you can get all the stuff about what we're doing um, and uh, check up on me and where we're where we're at this week and, and all of that. Um, and for all of you, uh, of course, won't you hashtag us up? Hashtag us at This Old Marketing. We need those story ideas. We love those story ideas. Everything we talked about, of course, will be in the show notes and the links and all of that kind of stuff. And for now, for Joe Polizzi, for Robert Rose, remember everybody, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks on This Old Marketing. Marketing.